You're listening to Comedy Central. February 10th, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Trevor Noah, our guest tonight is a novelist whose new book, Riot Baby, turns racism into a science fiction nightmare. Tochi Onyebuchi is joining us, everybody! <laughs> also on tonight's show, Mayor Pete is now public enemy number one, Ronnie Chang helps New Hampshire not become Iowa, and one of the Koreas wins an Oscar, but you'll have to guess which one. <laughs> so let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with the Oscars, the night where famous people fight over tiny gold men with no genitalia. (laughs) Last night's ceremony was amazing, but it was hard not to notice that the nominees were about as diverse as a Mike Pence family reunion. The 92nd Academy Awards were all about historic moments and tackling the controversy. The Academy Awards began with a call for diversity from singer Janelle Monae. It's an issue highlighted by Steve Martin and Chris Rock as well. Back in 1929, there were no black acting nominees. No. And now in 2020, we got one. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know, Chris. I I, I thought there was something missing uh, from the list this year. Vaginas? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But history is likely to remember last night's Oscars as the first time a non-English language film took the top honors. Parasite won four awards, including Best Picture and Best Director for Bong Joon-ho. Yes, congratulations to Parasite for becoming the first foreign language film to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Although, honestly, I was a little confused because I thought the first foreign language film to win was Rocky. Yo, Adrian, I gotta find a thing over here You telling me you didn't need subtitles? You know what I did think was funny about the night? was how many times someone would get on stage, give a speech about Hollywood needs diversity, and then everyone in the audience would clap, like, yeah, yeah, it's all white people. And you're like, but who do you think that person is talking to? <laughs> everyone in the audience is in Hollywood, but it's almost like they're clapping, like, yeah, the rest of these people, yeah, not me, not me. I have noticed a pattern, though. There's definitely a pendulum that swings back and forth for best picture. Yeah, because last year, Green Book won, and everyone was like, ah, oh, that's kind of unwoke. So then this year, They said, okay, we're gonna give it to a Korean movie about class warfare. Now the pendulum's gonna swing back hard the other way, which is why I'm gonna be releasing my new film this fall. It's an all-male reboot of Little Women. (laughs) It's gonna crush. Moving on to health news. We are now into the third month of the coronavirus outbreak, and it looks like it's not going away anytime soon. This morning, the coronavirus hitting a grim new milestone. 908 people have been killed by the virus in mainland China. That's now more people than were killed in the deadly SARS outbreak back in 2003. The number of confirmed cases hitting more than 40,000 overnight. And then there's that Diamond Princess cruise ship docked off Japan. The number of positive coronavirus cases doubling to 135. That includes at least 24 Americans. That cruise ship off the coast of Tokyo has more coronavirus cases than any single country outside of China. 75-year-old Gay Quarter says the quarantine on board the Diamond Princess 
isn't working. We are definitely not safe on this ship, and we need to be evacuated while some of us are still healthy. We all need to be tested, at least do the Americans on board. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> at least do the Americans on board? That is cold. Although, to be fair, when shit goes down on a boat, political correctness always goes out of the window. Right? It's been that way for ages. Like, when they were boarding the Titanic, people were like, women and children first, of course, of course. But then the iceberg hit, and all of a sudden, people were like, you bitches can drown! I'm using your kid as a raft! Ah! But I do feel bad for people stuck on that boat. Because it must be hard to diagnose coronavirus on a cruise ship. Because what are the symptoms, huh? You're dizzy, you're nauseous, you feel like you got food poisoning. Those are all the symptoms of just being on a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, this is probably one of the biggest reasons I'll never go on a cruise. Because have you noticed, whatever bad happens on a cruise, it happens for a really long time. Every other mode of transport, it happens and then it's done. You're in a car crash, it's over. If you're on a cruise, it crashes, it sinks for a week. <laughs> if there's a virus, you're stuck there for a week. If there's hijackers, you're stuck there for a week. Yeah, if you join a throuple at the beginning of the trip, you're stuck in it for a week. <laughs> Stop texting me, Helen and Howard. It's over now. <laughs> you know who I feel bad for, though? The poor Somali pirate who's now stuck on board for a week. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, look at me. I am infected now. <laughs> All right, but let's move on <laughs> from the coronavirus to a different pandemic that has been infecting the skies. And I'm talking about porn on planes. A crackdown on X-rated movies up in the sky. United Airlines pledging stepping up its efforts to keep pornography out of airplane cabins. The National Center on Sexual Exploitation says it has seen a rise in passengers viewing porn on their personal devices when flying. In a statement, United says inappropriate behavior, including adult movies, have no place on its aircraft. The company says it would enhance the training of its flight attendants to keep porn away from passengers on flights. All right, all right, come on, people. You can't watch porn on a plane like a pervert. You watch it on the subway like a normal person. <laughs> and look, <laughs> I get it, though. Some flights are long. You know, you gotta find a way to kill two and a half minutes. I understand. <laughs> but also, like, if this really bothers the other passengers, they should just give everyone who wants to watch porn their own row. Yeah? Yeah, you can just, like, book the porn row. They just put everyone... In fact, just put all the annoying people in their own section. There's, like, one row for the porn people, and then behind them, one row for the babies. They all make the same sound anyway. Yeah, it's just like... Just, just don't make the porn row the safety, the emergency exit row. That's not safe at all, yeah. Because then if the plane crashes, the other passengers will be like, we gotta get out, we gotta... Oh... I'm just gonna stay. It's fine. I'm not... I'm not crossing that. So, United Airlines, I, I get it. They need a new rule. I don't think you need to make up a new rule for this. Honestly, the easiest way to get people to stop watching porn on a plane is not to ban it. No, you just have a guy walk up behind those passengers and just be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep going. You'll be like, yeah, no, I'm done. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. <laughs> the Democratic primaries are now officially underway. Iowa shut the bed last week, and tomorrow is the New Hampshire primary, not to be confused with the New Hamster primary, which is not as important, but way more adorable. <laughs> so, let's catch up on the state of the race in our ongoing segment, World War D. <laughs> because of the unresolved in Iowa, what happens in the New Hampshire primary could go a long way toward determining 
which Democrat will get to face the cinnamon cyclone in the general election. (laughs) And for the last week, the story has been the epic rise of Pete Buttigieg, former South Bend mayor and human ventriloquist dummy. Right now, (laughs) people are saying that Mayor Pete won the most delegates in Iowa, which is why during Friday night's Democratic debate, everyone was gunning for him. High stakes in New Hampshire. Buttigieg, the primary target on the stage. I don't have 40 billionaires, Pete, contributing to my campaign. We have a newcomer in the White House, and look where it got us. Senator Warren, is that a substantial answer from Mayor Buttigieg? No. Pete, Pete, fundamentally, you are missing the lesson of Donald Trump's victory. We need people with experience. That's why I'm worried about Mayor Pete. Yeah, that's right. The whole debate, everyone was coming for Mayor Pete, which was insane. Like, I haven't seen that many people mad at a small-town mayor since that dude left the beaches open in Jaws. (laughs) Hell, at one point, Marion Williamson beamed in from the astral plane like, we should love all of Earth's creatures, but this dude ain't shit. (laughs) Now, if Pete Buttigieg is on the rise, Joe Biden is on the ropes. From being the clear front-runner just a couple of weeks ago, he's now struggling to stay relevant in the polls, which is why the former VP is going after Buttigieg harder than anyone. Joe Biden sharpening his attacks on a rising Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Former Vice President Joe Biden hitting out at any comparisons between Buttigieg and his former boss. This guy's not a Barack Obama. Barack Obama been a United States senator of a really large state. Buttigieg firing back on Sunday. Well, he's right. I'm not, and neither is he. Neither is any of us. Ooh. Yeah, right now, Obama's sitting at home like, uh, goddamn, you're damn, damn right. That's right, America. Uh, there's only one Barack Obama. And then Michelle walks in like, Barack, did you leave the toilet seat up again? He's like, uh, you must be mistaking me for Mayor Pete. <laughs> now, Biden, Biden's attacks didn't stop there, right? Because in the buildup to New Hampshire, he released a campaign ad coming after Buttigieg, minimizing everything that the mayor has ever done. Joe Biden helped lead the passage of the Affordable Care Act, which gave health care to 20 million people. And when parkgoers called on Pete Buttigieg, he installed decorative lights under bridges, giving citizens of South Bend colorfully illuminated rivers. Joe Biden helped save the auto industry, which revitalized the economy of the Midwest and led the passage and implementation of the Recovery Act, saving our economy from a depression. Pete Buttigieg revitalized the sidewalks of downtown South Bend by laying out decorative brick. We're electing a president. What you've done matters. Wow, that was so bitchy. (laughs) That was a really bitchy ad. Like, look what I did, and then look what he did. (laughs) And look, I I get why Biden is going after Buttigieg's lack of experience, but I'll be honest. To me, experience doesn't matter anymore when it comes to being president of the United States. If there's one thing Donald Trump has shown America, it's, well, how not to apply makeup. But if there's another thing... (laughs) he's shown America, is that you can run this country without experience, right? I know it sounds crazy, but if you think about it, none of the shitty things Trump has done were because he didn't have experience. They're because he's a dick. (laughs) Which is ironically the one thing where he has decades of experience. (laughs) Now, Mayor Pete did respond to Biden, but he hasn't released any ads attacking the VP. And maybe that's because he doesn't need to, because Biden keeps attacking himself. At a campaign event, Biden had a bizarre response to a voter who asked whether he can win a national election. Watch this. How do you explain the performance in Iowa and why should the voters believe that you can win the national election? It's a good question. 
Number one, I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're, now you got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. Biden didn't like that woman's answer. And he didn't just call her a liar. He called her a lying dog-faced pony soldier. And those, those are strong words that, that I don't really understand at all. Like, what, what, what is that? Is it, is it a pony that's a soldier with a dog's face? Is that what that is? Or is it a soldier with a dog's face on a pony? Also, why is this creature lying? Is it catfishing people? Who are you? I'm a girl in Ohio. You're a lying dog-faced pony. Like, what does that mean? And everyone, everyone's been wondering where this phrase came from. And Biden's campaign said that it's a quote from an old John Wayne movie. But here's the thing, nobody has been able to find this in any John Wayne movie. And I guess that's the beauty of quoting something from before the internet was invented. That shit isn't Googleable. You can just make it up. FDR said that chlamydia killed the dinosaurs. Prove me wrong. <laughs> but look, wherever the line came from, it's not a great look for Biden. Because it's yet another example of him beefing with a civilian on the campaign trail. In fact, that's becoming his trademark. And who knows, maybe he should lean into it. You know, like forget those anti-Buttigieg ads. Biden should start making ads that look a little more like this. Joe Biden is tired. Tired of you. Get your work straight, Jack. A damn liar, man. All the questions. Why attack Sanders? Why, 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 why? All the bullshit. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You don't want him in your face? Then get the f- out of his. So vote for Joe Biden. Can you still doubt about my commitment? Then you should vote for somebody else. Don't vote for me. Or don't. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Now that's dog-faced Pony. We'll be right back. It's now been one week since the Iowa caucus, and somehow we're still waiting to find out who actually won. Iowa bust. A week later, still no official winner. The results from the Iowa caucuses that took days to report have now been revised. The latest numbers show Buttigieg leading Sanders with 14 national delegates to Sanders' 12, and it appears the process is not over. The Sanders campaign says it will ask for a re-canvas in some precincts to check results to make sure they were correctly tallied and reported publicly. Now almost certainly there will not be an official Iowa winner until after this New Hampshire primary. They're never going to know who actually won Iowa. Right. Never. Never. This is crazy. We'll never know who won in Iowa, never. So you realize we now know what the surface of the sun looks like? but we can't count the votes of 170,000 people in Iowa? Like, in 100 years, scientists will be like, after years of research and hundreds of tests, we have finally figured out what a dog-faced pony soldier is. (laughs) Iowa, on the other hand, is still a mystery. Like, how, how did this even happen? I really wonder, how did it actually... It's almost like Iowa's votes were taken by that one waiter at the restaurant who's too cool to write everyone's order down. 
You know that one waiter was always like, oh, so it's four Bernies, a Buttigieg, and a Klobuchar? I got it, I got it. No, no, I got it, I got it. Sorry, you said four Cory Bookers, right? Is that what you said? Oh, Bernies, no, no, I got it. Don't worry, I have it this time, I have it. Honestly, by the time they figure it all out, it's gonna be too late. Like, Buttigieg will be a 70-year-old man, and he'll be running against a bunch of tombstones. And Bernie. Yeah, because Bernie's gonna live forever. Like, yeah, he's like the baby Yoda of humans. I'm still here. Happy birthday to me. Now, because of this, because of this Iowa debacle, tomorrow's primary in New Hampshire will be hugely important in shaping the race. So we decided to send Ronnie Chang to the Granite State to make sure that their preparations are going smoothly. I'm here in New Hampshire, the live free or die state. And right now it's so cold, I feel like dying. After the DNC shat the bed in Iowa's caucuses, New Hampshire has a real chance to be the first state in the nation to lead the presidential nomination process. I'm here at the state capitol to find out more. It's so cold! Ah! The only results out of the Iowa caucuses was just how bad they blew it. This is an unmitigated disaster. It could not be more of a disaster. Nightmare disaster. Disaster? Disaster. This is the death knell. If it's not the death knell, somebody should get fired. So now the pressure is on New Hampshire to get it right. All eyes now turn to the New Hampshire primary. It's gonna be the most important primary in the cycle. I searched the state house to make sure the people in charge were hard at work. Hello? Where the hell is everybody? This place was emptier than the DNC's bowels after they shit all over themselves in Iowa. Turns out the governor was calling a very important last minute press conference to explain how New Hampshire is the best at elections. We hadn't really planned for this, so we crashed the presser TMZ style. Turns out you can get in anywhere with a suit and a camera crew. You could sense that there was more at stake in this primary than usual. Our press corps seems to have grown. <laughs> the governor and what appeared to be all the Democratic candidates came out to deliver their remarks. Warren, Bernie, Yang. This press conference had everything. An old man wandering around clearly confused. A PowerPoint presentation with voting clip art. And of course, a guy live streaming this on Facebook for likes. Well, thank you very much. We're going to open it up for questions, I think. Finally, the governor of New Hampshire took our questions. After a couple of softballs, I found my chance to ask the only question that Americans actually wanted to know. Uh, Mr. Governor, Mr. Governor, uh, after the, thank you, after the disaster in Iowa, are you able to promise the people of New Hampshire and the nation that New Hampshire will not f*** this up? New Hampshire is going to get it right. We've gotten it, gotten it right for 100 years. We're going to keep getting it right. The governor's non-answer only raised more questions. Mr. Governor, if, you, if this goes off without a hitch, how do you plan on gloating to Iowa? Are you willing to go on the record to say that Iowa sucks and New Hampshire rocks? Can you assure your citizens that your votes will be counted unless they're for Bernie? I guess we'll have to wait to get our questions answered. Mr. Governor, who are you voting for, Mr. Governor? Will New Hampshire be a corn-fed cluster like Iowa? Only time will tell. But am I excited to get out of this freezing political pony show hellhole? I vote yes. Ronnie Chang, everybody. We'll be right back.
back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a critically acclaimed author who examines the issue of race through the prism of science fiction and fantasy in his new novel, Riot Baby. Please welcome Tochi Onyebuchi. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. And congratulations on uh, what we're hoping will be another smash hit, Riot Baby. Many people have referred to this as one of your more dystopian uh, pieces that you've put together. You've, you've written multiple stories in and around the world of science fiction. What is Riot Baby all about? So Riot Baby is the story of these two siblings, Ella and Kev, who grow up in the shadow of the Rodney King uh, riots right. in LA. And their story takes them from you know, South Central to Harlem uh, to Rikers and then back to Watts. And as they grow up, they're dealing with issues of structural racism, uh, mass incarceration, police brutality, all while developing superpowers. Yes, that seems like a, a lot to handle as, a, <laughs> as an adolescent growing up. Very charged adolescent. Racism yeah. and superpowers at the same time. The same time. It, 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 it's, it's fascinating because you, you write these stories and you, you're a big science fiction oh, lo lover, you know what I mean? And that's what your stories are about. But you do weave in real life. Some might say, but Tochi, why do that? Real life is already real life. Why not just make it science fiction? Is science fiction the place of social commentary? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a very rich history in science fiction and fantasy of exactly that type of social commentary. I mean, the wonderful thing about the genre is that it operates uh, on two levels simultaneously, as metaphor and reality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the issues or stories of uh, first contact with aliens are also stories about colonialism. You know, the X-Men as a metaphor for the civil rights struggle. You know, the whole dying earth subgenre yes. of sci science fiction and fantasy, climate change. And so I think in science fiction and fantasy, you have a very particular set of tools at your disposal to explore really intense issues of, say, gender or race right. or what have you. And so, I mean, this was exactly the type of, of sandpit that I wanted to engage with these issues in. Do you find that it, it, it connects with people in a way that they're not expecting when they read about a, a fictitious world that's not really our world and, mm -hmm. and there's superpowers and there's magic? Do you find it becomes easier for people to engage in conversations about race and, and, and you know, sexism and misogyny when it is in a fantasy world than if you just write a book about real life? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because there's that uh, story. You know, this isn't an essay. This isn't a reported piece. Yes. You know, we're not dealing with facts per se, but at the same time, we are, I think, able to get to a deeper truth with regards to the storytelling and the way that storytelling can operate as a vehicle mm -hmm. into that. Um, I mean, there are people who uh, are going to decide not to have their mind changed by a story. Um, you know, they should still buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's a very different way of engaging where I could have people who don't share my politics, for yes. instance, who uh, might still find a story that... That's interesting. Exactly. That is appealing to them in this story of these two siblings with superpowers. Some have called it dystopian, though. They say, like, Tochi, I mean, we've read the book. I've read a few people, you know, like a few critics who say mm -hmm. it's a great book, but who? Tochi really thinks of this dystopian world. Do you, do you view it as dystopian? No, actually. I mean, there's a, a bit of near future towards the end of the book, but I've always found the dystopian commentary fascinating because a lot of what's depicted in Riot Baby is what's going on now. 
um, with regards to the issues that African Americans in America are having to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the section that's set in Harlem where, you know, these two kids are having to deal with you know, super violent police. Mm -hmm. That's all happening right now. And so it's interesting seeing people attach the dystopian label to this narrative because what's dystopian for some is just reality for us. Damn, that's deep. If you had one superpower to fight any ill in the world, what would it be? Oh my goodness, you'd, you'd think I'd have a faster answer to this question. Uh, <laughs> because of how much I, I deal with superpowers in my stories, I yes. think it'd be really cool to fly. You, you would fly? I would fly. So like, there's like racial injustice and it's like, look. <laughs> that guy's flying. <laughs> but, I mean, we're still getting pulled over by the cops, but that, uh, <laughs> that brother's in the sky. But, but if I, <laughs> if I train properly, and this is the anime geek in me coming out, if I train properly, I can develop the strength and the capacity to carry others on my back. Oh, that's okay. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Riot Baby is a beautiful, fascinating story and it's available now. Tochi Onyebuchi, everybody. <laughs> The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 